Uh, uh, it's good to see you. Uh, good to be here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, today we are going uh, uh, a little off. We're not doing Gather, Grow, Go. We, we did that already. We're going to talk a little bit about this thing called prayer. Uh, because starting on Tuesday, we begin our prayer service, which is on Tuesday. Or, I'm sorry. Wow. Starting Wednesday, we begin. <laughs> Jen had a heart attack right there. Uh, starting Wednesday, we begin our prayer service at Ballard Baptist Church. We're going to be there at 630, and it's just a time of prayer and worship for our city, what's going on around us, how we can be more engaged in what we can do. I hope to see you there, Ballard Baptist at 630. But today, I want to ask you a question. I don't know about you, uh, but do you ever feel like you're boxed in, or do you feel like you're stuck? Yes. You want to think about that one a little longer. It's a quick... Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel helpless? Like there's not much you can do? I'm sorry as I fix this. It's running down my face. But you just feel like you can't do anything to keep track of or to move the ball forward to do anything. You have a lack of possibilities, a lack of leverage, and you feel absolutely, utterly helpless. I've been there. We've all been there. I think some of us are there right now. Some of us will be there in the future. Some of us were there yesterday, and then something happened. You had what we call a breakthrough, and then you're fine. But when we're in that place of stuckness, is the verb I'm going to use for it, we get anxious. I don't know about you, but I lose my sleep. Uh, my hair turns gray, believe it or not. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's something happens, and it's about being stuck. When plan A doesn't go well, and then plan B doesn't go well, when plan C fails, and D, E, F, all of them come, and Z comes along, and that doesn't work either, we're exhausted. And usually, if you're like me, we throw our hands up in the air and say, ah, choice words. There's nothing that we can do about this. And or... I don't know what we're going to do about this. We've all been there. We've lost the job. Perhaps we've lost the relationship. Uh, maybe they've called and said that they're moving ahead with another candidate for the job and you're not that candidate. Maybe the contract slipped out of your hands or you were told about a diagnosis and then you were told about a treatment and none of them look well or good. Uh, and then the call came and someone had passed away. Remember those times of feeling stuck. Have you been in one of those places? In the past few months, uh, I've had the honor of sitting with folks. John, go ahead. Honor of sitting with people who have told me just that. They feel absolutely and completely stuck. One of such was with their marriage. They don't know what they're going to do about their marriage. It's not going well. There's nothing that they can do. The counselor doesn't seem to be doing anything. It's not working out. Others take a walk around our city and feel helpless with what we can do. Others look at our culture and they see the division and the political answers have only worsened everything. Others' lives are forever changed because of this virus and we're stuck. It seems like we're waiting on something else to happen to us. The overwhelming feeling I get is that we're all waiting for another shoe to drop. We're stuck. We're optionless. We're living at the will of something and we're powerless. And this is where I think the beauty of Scripture comes into our lives and, come, and comes into reality. You know, this book that was written 2,000 years ago by you know, 30-something authors over 1,500 years still speaks today. Because if we turn to the book of Acts, or to the chapter Acts 12, we see a church that is completely and utterly stuck. In verse 1, it says this, It was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. 
he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Here's a, there's a group of folks. This is Christians, the early church, who are being rounded up. There we'll see in verse 12 that they're at Mary's house. We don't know which Mary. There's someone named Mary. And this James that was killed was not the James that wrote the book. Mary and James were very common names. They didn't have a lot of other names back then, apparently. So you're either Mary, James, John, and that, that's who you were, or Elizabeth. And so, but this is another James. This is the James, the brother of another common name, John. Sorry, my watch is talking to me now. This is the Mary, or they're sitting at Mary's house, and they're in hiding. They're afraid. They're scared. They just rounded up James. This guy named Herod is a new king, Herod. This is a different Herod. Herod's one of those other names that just kind of repeats after time. This is Herod Antipas. His dad was Herod the Great, who tried to kill Jesus by murdering all the two-year-olds in, in the world. Okay, so this is his son or his grandson. Brutality tends to run rampant in the Herod family. Then we look at Acts. We look at this early church. We see them here in Acts 12. And, and we have this habit when we come to Acts. We like to romanticize the church in Acts. Oh, if we could just get back to what they did in Acts is what I hear almost at every church planters meeting. We need to have the Acts church which would be fantastic. There's a lot of things that we can learn from the Acts Church, but the Acts Church had a lot of problems too. We romanticize it. There's some things we can take, but we have to take in mind that Christianity in the church wasn't that complicated or actually was more complicated then than it is now. Acts 12 comes around. Herod is now gathering up Christians. He takes James. He wants to make a power play to impress Rome, because Rome is now more involved. He wants to impress what's going on, and he says, you know what? This whole thing, uh, I'm going to round up Christians because they're a threat to the empire, and that'll play good with Rome, and we'll see how it plays with the Jews. So he takes James, who's not the leader, but he's like a cabinet member of the church. And then he does a, a poll, and this met with high approval. And he goes, hey, this is looking good. Why don't I do it again? And so he gets a hold of Peter. He puts James to death with the sword. And when you put someone to death with the sword, it's not like a hanging or a criminal death. This is a power move. This is a political play. The church that day was saying that Jesus was king of the Jews. And if Jesus is the king of the Jews, Herod isn't. And Herod doesn't like this. And so let's get rid of Peter. Let's go after him. Let's go after the head of the serpent, so to speak. And so he rounds up Peter, and this tiny community is now feeling threatened. And did you see the timestamp in this? This is Passover. This is the time where they celebrated what happened in Egypt. This is also probably a year or two after Jesus was arrested and crucified on Passover. So we have this group of Christians who have been relatively unharmed until now. And now they have, they, their leader was in prison certainly was going to be put to death after Passover weekend because you couldn't have capital punishment under Jewish law over the Sabbath. And so now Peter's in trouble. They're out of options. They have no legal options. They don't have a celebrity to hop on social media and tweet about it, right? Or to get an attention or to start a hashtag. They didn't have that. They didn't have a high-ranking official within the government that they can implore of. They had no money. They had no media. They had no options. They're stuck, just like you and I have been stuck before, without options, 
without hope, without a voice. Stuck. You've been there. Now, when you and I are there, what do we do? Usually we start scrambling, right? We, start, we tend to think of our lives like the corporate world. Uh, we start lighting up our advantages. We start networking. We start putting this person with that person. And maybe something will come together and boom, they'll solve our problems. And then we'll be in the clear. Which, don't get me wrong, there's times for that. There's times for you to use your gifts and skills and your networking stuff and all that stuff. But this church had nothing to light up. And at some point in your life, Something's going to happen. Hate to be the bearer of bad news. Something's going to happen where you're not going to have anything to line up. It's true. And maybe some of you have been through that time. Again, some of you might be in it. And some of you might look ahead and go, I'm coming to that time. Look what the church did in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That phrase, earnestly praying, is a catchy Greek phrase. It means earnestly praying to a lot of people. Uh, But there's another way to translate it. You could translate it this way. The church was sending a steady stream of prayers to God for Peter. They were intercessing for Peter. A way of thinking intercessing is they were reaching their hands and grabbing God's hand, and at the same time they were putting their hand on Peter and joining the two together. It was a steady stream of prayer. They had nothing. Yet at the same time, they had everything at the tips of their fingers. Ecclesiastes tells us a lot of doom and gloom about life. But one of the things that tells, and there's a song about it, it says there's a time for everything under the sun. A time to sing, a time to cry, a time to war. There's a time to study the Bible. And there's times in our lives when none of those things seem appropriate. Because in those times... It's not time to study, it's not time to sing, it's not time to go to war, it's time to pray. And this is exactly what the church did. The disciples had learned something about following Jesus those three years, especially when they took note of Jesus' prayer habits. Oftentimes the Gospels will tell of Jesus disappearing, walking away, going off by himself uh, to sing. No, Luke makes special note of it. Jesus went alone by himself in order to pray. And oftentimes, when Jesus went alone by himself in order to pray, it was at a time of great distress or great troubles. They knew that Jesus' power came from his prayer. That's why when they ask him in Luke, they they don't say this, Jesus, teach us how to preach. They don't say that. They don't say, Jesus, teach us how to make bread multiply by thousands. They don't, they don't say, teach me how to do miracles. They don't say, teach me how to walk on water. What do they say? Luke 11, 1, teach us to pray. The power that came from Jesus came from the time in his prayer. Because when you're in a situation like this, you can't lean on your own strength. You need something that only God can do, something that only God can bring, something that only God can work through. And this is something they knew from their past. They look into the, their, their own history, the own Jewish history. They knew that in times of trouble, the command was to call upon the name of the Lord. One scholar says that before they were known as Jewish people or the people of Israel or the Hebrews, they were known as those who call upon the name of the Lord. It starts in Genesis 4.24. Cain kills uh, Abel. Adam and Eve had another another name, Seth. And at that time, at the end of the verse, it says this, and they called upon the name of the Lord. 
You can trace this all the way through scriptures. When times get hard, when troubles become too much, when people were stuck, the phrase call upon the name of the Lord is the most common phrase. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you and, and will honor you. And I will deliver you and you will honor me. Lamentations 355. I called upon your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. First, Second Samuel 22.4, I called upon the Lord who is worthy of praise, and we have been saved from my enemies. They called upon the Lord in the, na- in the times of trouble. Now, something has changed in our church culture that we don't necessarily do this anymore. There's a growing movement within the church today, and, uh, and we stopped calling upon the name of the Lord. Well, there's a couple of reasons. Perhaps it's pushback on the whole thoughts and prayers movement. Whenever something happens, everyone's like, thoughts and prayers. And maybe some people don't like that. Maybe they're sick of people. Perhaps too many people are just thinking and praying. Or maybe they're praying about thinking or thinking about praying or not doing any sort of action. What happens is we get bad at it. We're like, that won't do anything. So therefore, we're not going to pray. Maybe that's why the prayer thing has gone away. Or perhaps it's the other way. Uh, or instead of praying, if thoughts and prayers don't, because it's actionless for some people, maybe that they said, you know what, I'm just going to do something. I'm not going to think. I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to what? React. And that doesn't leave you well either. Because that's what we've always done. We try to get by on our own. We try to get by on our own skills, our own talents, our own connections. Then we say the church shouldn't be those who are thoughts and praying. That's not the church. The church should be the one who just studies doctrine and listens to sermons. And don't get me wrong, I look at doctrine and sermons all day. I'm a nerd. I like it. But that's not what Scripture tells us to do. It's not, Scripture doesn't say, go, think about doctrine, listen to sermons, and all will be well. Scripture says that God intervenes on our behalf when we call upon the name of the Lord. On the other end, if you don't like thoughts and prayers, maybe we, we tend to, way, to stray away from prayer because we see a lot of people who would look that way or do that, and they're quite frankly weird, right? They swing their jackets around. They knock people out. I don't know what's in those jackets. Or sometimes they blow on you and they fall over. We see them on, on, the, on the TV late at night. If you're up late at night cruising by TBN, we see it. And it look, we look at it and go, no, those people are strange. They're too emotional. It's scary. Or maybe we've been in those things and it's abusive. Or maybe you've gotten your hopes up by believing one of those and you have been hurt by it. And so you're like, I don't want to be praying like those people. I don't want to be praying like those people. And so you're stuck there. Where there's two or three problems, maybe there's more problems why people stay away from prayer. But the fact is, we stop seeking the Lord. Sure, we have worship in our church, which is great. We have community, which is awesome. Uh, We have decent sermons. Things are good most of the time around here. But the church isn't supposed to be a place or known as a house of sermons. It's not supposed to be a house of correct doctrine, even though correct doctrine is great. It's not supposed to be a house of amazing worship, even though worship is awesome and there's a time for that. The Bible says this about the church. Isaiah 56, 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will give them joy in my house of 
prayer. Jesus walks through the temple in Matthew 21, 13. He quotes this Isaiah verse. He says to them, my house is supposed to be called a house of prayer. Not a house where we do everything else but pray, but my people are still supposed to be the ones who call upon my name. Church culture has led us away from the power of prayer. Church culture sometimes isn't exactly biblical. Sometimes church culture can take you the wrong way. We're supposed to be known as those who call upon the name of the Lord when we're facing troubles. And when we're surrounded by troubles, like most of us are now, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our cities, our nations, our world, our health, it's beyond what we can do. What is our first step? We thought an election would fix it. We thought social media posts would fix it. We thought a summer of love would fix it. We thought books and lectures and marches could fix it. And they haven't. And so we're stuck. The world is broken and we need someone to intervene with it. We're all, in a sense, sitting in that upper room at Mary's house, like they are in Acts 12, waiting for something to happen. Things look bleak. We're out of options. And just like in Acts 12, it's time for the church to begin praying. Because when we pray, God intervenes. Watch what happens in verse 6. The night, the night before Herod was going to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. We, we know from earlier in the passage that there were four sets of four guards. Uh, there were chains involved. There were two on him. There were two outside the door and probably two outside the outer gate. They learned the lesson the last time they tried to keep someone behind a stone. That, that didn't go well. Jesus, that's what I'm talking, because Jesus came through the stone. There was a lot of guards there. Got it? Okay. They learned the lesson. And so now they're going to put Peter under some lock and key. Then this happens. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord. Angels of the Lord only happen suddenly. If you ever read through the Bible, it's always suddenly. They never move slowly. Okay? Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. The first we see when we call upon the name of the Lord, when we finally get to that place, when we call upon the name of the Lord, here's what happens. It sounds cheesy, but it happened. Chains fell off. The chains came off Peter. Now, there's something funny here. The angel's sitting over Peter, and he kicks him in the side. I wonder if he got a lot of joy out of that. Like, get up. Sometimes Carrie has to really hit me in order to wake me up, so... I understand that. For Peter, his chains literally fell off. He didn't notice that his chains came free. I don't know how he's sleeping knowing that he's going to get killed tomorrow. But he's resting. He knows that tomorrow, whatever happens, he's going to see Jesus or he's going to live another day. So he's resting. The angel has to kick him. And then his chains fell off and he was free to go. The steady stream of prayer that we see happening from the disciples in that room was answered, and the angel took part in the best jailbreak ever. When we pray, God responds. Sometimes that's difficult to grasp, yet it's true. Sometimes God doesn't respond in our time. We want God to respond now. Sometimes God takes a while. God took the weekend. They probably started praying on Friday the beginning of Passover. It's Saturday night. It didn't happen immediately. 
but we see through Scripture that God is a God who listens to prayer and he responds to our prayer. Look at Exodus 14. God splits the sea. When they're stuck at the end, they have people coming down. They're stuck. They can't go this way because of Egypt's army coming. They can't go that way because there's an ocean behind them. They're stuck. What does Moses do? He goes behind the tent and says, Oh, shoot, Lord, help. Scared, out of options. And what's God say? I got this. All you need to do is be still. And then the sea splits. God responds to David's request, going to battle. He says, Lord, is this, is this the battle I'm in? The Philistines are invading. Absalom's rebellion. What do you want me to do? And every time says, God meets him, responds to his prayers. In Daniel 9, which one of the, is one of the most peculiar passages in, I think, the Old Testament, Daniel's stuck, and he's frustrated that God's not responding in his time. And so what happens? God sends an angel, or the angel Gabriel comes down and says, hey, sorry I took so long. Here's the response to your prayer. Now i got to get back up and fight the prince of Persia in spiritual realm. And so that's just a mind-bender of a passage. But what we see is that God responds God responded to Paul and Silas when they were in prison in Acts 16. And God responds today. In each one of those situations, there was a person chained down by something, either physical chains or by a a, a time of life that they were in. And God broke those chains because every time we pray, God responds. That's why Jesus says it this way, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I have a friend who was chained really heavily to drugs. Uh, He wouldn't go a day without getting high. And whatever it was passed to him or given to him, he would take it. And he did that for years. And then he came to Jesus, but his addiction didn't go away like that. Like most addictions, he had to fight through it. And it was just years and years of 12 steps and rehabs, and nothing seemed to work. He couldn't get over it. So one time, one night, we had a prayer time, and we all put our hands on him, and we prayed for hours that there would be freedom from this addiction. Now, it doesn't always happen like this. The next morning, he woke up, had no desire for drugs. His chains fell off. He was no longer addicted. And he's been clean and sober ever since, around eight or nine years ago. His chains fell off. Our chains in life are what hold are what are our chains in life are what is holding us back. What's keeping us down, forcing us to stay stuck. It could be a sin that you just keep on falling into. You're shackled to that feeling or that choice or that mistake you've dug yourself a nice little rut and you keep falling into it that's a chain that could be an addiction something you can't give up it could be a situation or a relationship anything where you feel chained down is the place where you feel helpless against it some of our chains can only be broken through prayer in mark 9 there's a story about jesus casting out a, a demonic uh, our demon from a little boy and and when he does it he 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 frees this this child from the demon and the disciples are like dude what the heck this is what it says in brad's greek version right what the heck man we've been praying for this for so long and nothing happened 
How come you were able to do that? And so the disciples were confused, like, what's going on? And Jesus, uh, after they got indoors in Mark 9, 28, it says his disciples asked him, why couldn't we do that? And he said, this kind can only come out by prayer. Some chains that we have can only come out through prayer. Perhaps you're tired of being chained down by whatever you're chained down by. You've tried everything and nothing seems to free you. Perhaps today you might be willing to try the only thing that can free you. In 1 Timothy uh, 2, 1 through 4, Paul writes that we pray that no person would be chained to sin. That's what he wants us to pray for. Pray for each other that we don't get chained down. There's no chain that God can't break. There's no darkness that can't be quenched by his light. There's no end to his power. There's no ending to his grace when his people pray. We pray for chains to fall off. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 6. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. Can it get any more clear with that? Paul's writing to a group of people who are going through situations. They're stuck. And he says, what? He doesn't say, try harder. Lord blesses those who bless themselves. No, 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 he doesn't say that. Just pray. It's time to pray. You're stuck. You need chains off. We need to pray for each other. Peter's chains fell off. Look what happens next. And the angel said to him, put on some clothes, or put on your clothes and sandals, please. Yeah, you got that. Okay. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and they came to an iron gate leading to the city. It opened by itself and they went through it. When they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. When we pray, the chains fall off. When we pray, quite literally, the doors open. We all pray for opportunities. We pray for homes, jobs, cars, conversations. Uh, we love the Christian catchphrase, Lord, open the door, right? That's what we always say. So what do we pray for? Open doors. Open, close a door. Uh, and, and when they don't get opened in the way we like, what do we do? We kick on them as hard as we can. We lean against them. We jiggle the handle. We try to pick the lock. We try to do things uh, that sometimes God's like, I don't want you to do this. But we try to force our own way in. If God doesn't open the door, well, by golly, we will. And so we force things. We move at our own pace and try things on our own time. Then we, what happens? We're exhausted. Our anxiety spikes. We max out on our stress. Our frustration is at peak levels. But did you see what happened with Peter? God broke his chains. And in the verse, Peter wasn't fully aware of what happened. Peter wasn't a morning person, apparently. He walked out, and he was kind of groggy, like, yeah, I'm just going to go along with this. They passed the guards. Nothing happened. They passed the next set of guards. Nothing happened. At the end of verse 10, they came to the iron gate, probably the heaviest door they can go, and it opened by itself. Sounds like one of those automatic doors that are at Safeway. You can do this, and it opens. Uh, we were at one the other day, and it was an old school door. I don't know where we were, but you step on the rubber pad, and it opens. And so I had Judah with me, and I said, 
hey, buddy, use your ninja skills. Judah's a ninja, in case you were all wondering. Uh, and so he, he does his little fake karate and says, open, and I hit the pad, and the door opens. And he goes, <gasps> whoa. And then, then it closes again. He says, Daddy, I want to try it again. All right. It took him three or four times to see me going like this, that it would finally open. But that's, it, it's the kind of thing that, that I think of when the magic gate opened by itself. Sometimes we think that we're the ones that open the doors, right? It's by our own uh, cleverness that something happens. It's God who does it. Sure, we can jiggle the handles. We can make sure the doors open or locked. We can kind of test and see what's happened. But it's God who opens the door. We don't do a thing. He responds to our prayers. And then what happens? He steps on the rubber tab and the door opens. And we think we did it. God opens the door. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, because a great door for effective work has opened for me and there are many who oppose me. In this section, Paul's saying, pray for me. God opened a door and there's a lot of trouble on the other side of it. When you have open doors, you need to walk through them, but you, do, but you cannot forget who opened it. And if God opened this door for you, you have all the confidence in the world to walk through it. If you open the door for you, be careful on what's on the other side. He opened the door for Peter. He opened the door for Paul. In Acts 16, there's another story about Paul talking about doors. Paul must have liked doors a lot. He says that he's been trying to go into Macedonia, but every, or he's been trying to go to Asia, rather, and every time he tries, the door shuts. And finally, he says, okay, we're not going to Asia. And then he gets a, a, a vision from a Macedonian man and goes down to Philippi, plants a church, and you have the book of Philippians. There are some doors that don't open. God opens, God shuts. Our task in this is to remain obedient. Don't go pushing a door that God has shut. Pray that God opens a door. Keep praying that God opens a door. It'll open in time. And I love what happens next. There's another door here. It, uh, it, it, Peter gets free. He's outside the iron gate. He goes to Mary's house. He knocks on the door. And, and then this woman named Rhoda, which she's a sweetheart in this passage. She comes to the door. She recognized Peter's voice in verse 14. And she was so overjoyed. She opened the door. She sees Peter and says, Peter, slam, right? Slams the door right back into his face. Runs back to the other people who are still sitting there praying for Peter, who's at the door, that he would be released. And here's what they say. You are out of your mind, Rhoda. When she kept insisting that it was Peter, they said, oh, it must be his angel, which is a nice way to say, Peter's dead already. And maybe he's visiting us from the other side, you know. But Peter kept on knocking. And they opened the door, and they were astonished. I think this is one of the most funny instances in the book of Acts. There's a lot of them. You have to look for them. But can you just, it's like a Monty Python sketch. Oh, and they slam the door right in his face. We've been praying for so long that you would be freed and you're standing here and I don't know what to do. I'm going to slam the door because I can't believe it. And everyone else thinks I'm crazy. Maybe I am crazy. I appreciate that it's in here. I appreciate Rhoda in this passage. I'm glad it's here. Because here you have a church that we've glorified beyond everything, right? They did everything right. 
they had Pentecost. They had, they had people uh, who couldn't walk, walking. They have amazing faith. Here they are celebrating Passover. They're praying. They've been in prison. They've been freed. They've seen how miracles happen. They walked with Jesus for three years. And now they're praying that Peter's free. And now he's at the door. And then they don't believe that it ever happened in the first place. It's that moment of faithlessness by these faithful giants that inspires me. Because not always, we're not, we've not only all been stuck, we've all prayed for an answer. And when the answer came, we're like, there's no way that's happening. And we don't believe it. And so we slam the door. <laughs> and then we have to knock again. Peter was there. Door slammed in his face. These monuments of faithful, these monuments of trust, don't believe it. And this is comforting. Because not only were they hero heroic, they were real. They had faith one minute and doubt the next minute, like you and I do. The same kind of people who get stuck. The same kind of people who try to work things out on our own before we actually try the only thing that can work. The same kind of people who send a steady stream of prayers day after day, and at the same time, doubt if the prayers will ever be answered. The same people who have seen God work in the past wonder if he'll work in the present and doubt he will work in the future. Our world, our lives, our faith is in that time of season right now. We're stuck. Perhaps you feel it more today than you felt it yesterday. Perhaps yesterday was a bad day. Perhaps you're looking ahead going, this is getting awful. Perhaps you need a door to be opened for you. You're praying for that job. You're praying for that person. You're praying for the situation. You're praying and praying that something would happen. And you're about to lose hope. Perhaps you've been fighting this addiction for so long and you're tired of it. You're held down, be it by a sin, debt, uh, uh, addiction. Maybe there's a relationship that's keeping you from pursuing God and you forgot what it looked like to actually be free. Perhaps today is a day that you stop and say, my only plan that I have is to pray and to believe that God still breaks chains, God still opens doors. I wonder if God perhaps has, has answered more prayers in our lives than we give him credit for. And we just don't believe that it's happened. Look back on your life, real quick. For some of us, it'll take a while. Look back, that's an old joke. For some of us, it'll take a minute, some of us, not that long. But we can look back and go, has God done some things in my life? And you never said that was God moving. But you can look back and go, ah, that was him. That was God's open door. That was God breaking the chains. There's nothing you did. It's something God did. Perhaps you're in the situation, you look back and you see that God's moved in the past, and you're wondering if he can move in the present, and maybe today it's time for you to say, okay, I need a steady stream of prayers on my behalf to go to the throne room of God, to touch God and touch me, and we need to intercess for you. Maybe today you need prayer. I don't want to make it weird. Uh, in a few minutes, I'm just going to have everyone, we're going to do the old school, bow your head, close your eyes, and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Uh, I, I don't want any of you to cheat, okay? 
Raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you. We need chains broken in this city. We need to raise prayers for this city. We need chains broken in families. People are hurting. Families are crumbling. We need chains broken in, in, in the way that our country runs. We, and, and this isn't saying that one party's good, one party's bad. It's all a mess. We need chains broken. If my people call on their name, I will hear their prayers and I will act on their behalf, it says in Chronicles. And it happens because God's people pray. I would love us to be known as a house of the Lord who prays. And so would you pray with me today? Uh, uh, and if you need prayer, just slip your hand up, okay? So if you want to bow your head, close your eyes, go in 1980s Sunday school class here. This is what we did back for those of you who were alive back then. If you're in a place in your life where you need prayer, don't be shy. I want to pray for you today. You're stuck. We don't need to know details. I don't need to know what's going on. We can talk later if you want. I want to pray for you. So just raise your hand. You need a chain broken. You need an open door. Okay. Father, I pray for these hands that are up. These people who need the prayers. They need you to move. They need you to act in a way that only you can. They feel absolutely and completely stuck. And God, it says in Hebrews that we can boldly approach your throne with confidence and make our requests known. So Lord, we come to your throne room and we say, these, my friends, need you to act on their behalf. Lord, would you open the doors? Would you step on that rubber mat and make the doors open as only you can do? May you bring the jobs May you bring the relationships. May you bring the opportunities. May you bring the freedom. May you bring the hope and the peace. Lord, for my friends who are bound by chains of, of whatever they are, addictions or sins or whatever's holding them back, Lord, may you break the chains. You say again in Hebrews, May we throw off whatever's been holding us so that we might pursue what you're doing. So Lord, may we throw off those chains and may you break those chains this morning. May their lives be set free. May the air come into their lungs as they breathe. and oh, May the anxiety go away. May the freedom come. Lord, we pray you break chains today. There's no chain strong enough to withstand you. Lord, may you move. And God, we look outside our windows and we see the city in stuck mode and we pray for a breakthrough there. We pray that do something that only you can do and may we follow what you do, not of anything that we've done, not of anything clever on our behalf, not because we're bright, but because you are moving and we are just joining. And so, Lord, may our steady stream of prayers hit your throne. 
and may they pile up in front of you. And like Moses and David and Daniel and Jeremiah and all those who've gone ahead, you will respond to us. Because you say in your scriptures, if you ask, I'll do it. And so we're asking, God. We pray for freedom. We pray for open doors. Teach us to pray, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name.